Hello and welcome to the Flex for our last show of 2022 here. It's Matt Sainchid and Joe Howie, as always, talking to you after the Providence Providence big win last night at Hinkle Field House. They go on the road and beat Butler 72 to 52 in a game that really was not as close as that indicates. It's one hell of a way to end the year, Joe. Yeah, Matt, I'll tell you the first couple minutes of that game. Uh, I thought it was going to be just a, a typical Big East brick fight where you're hitting the other team in the face with a brick. They're hitting you right back. And all of a sudden it was 28-9. And I was like, okay, uh, all right. Like, I guess we're doing this. I guess foot's on the gas and we're going into 2023 in style. So yeah. that was a great way yeah. to end the year. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Before we get into that one and break it down, just a couple of reminders for you. First, if you're looking to go to Providence's first home game of 2023, you want to start off the new year in style, we got just the thing for you. We've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download the app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. UConn, coming to the app for the first time since returning to the Big East with fans next Wednesday. Use that code to get yourself some tickets. And while you're at it, head over to our store and get yourself a t-shirt. We got some fresh shirts on sale right now. The app where ranked teams go to die. Get your shirt. Go buy that. So you got something to wear when Providence hosts UConn. And one final reminder here podcast is presented by house enterprise and in partnership with house of college hoops head over to our site house-enterprise.com for more info joe i know we got an article coming out tomorrow on the best big east moments of 2022 there's quite a few prior moments in there so make sure to check that one out everybody i mean matt take a breath that was quite the ad read right there that (laughs) was was, through it all that was a good minute and a half of just ads but um yeah a lot a lot of good stuff going on right now um Obviously grateful for House Enterprise for taking us on this year. Um, check out the store. I spent a lot of money on that store for Christmas, and my family's all repped out in, in Flex merch now. Get the get the new T-shirt. I'm going to get it. Matt's going to get it. Get it. We'll, we'll white out the dunk our own way. Or not the dunk. The yeah. app. New Year's resolution. Still getting used to it. Still yep. getting used to it. We'll figure that out eventually. Uh, Joe, we get we can talk about this Butler game. Do we want? Do you want to talk about this game first and react to it, or do we just want to do big picture twenty twenty two? Let's react to the game first while it's still fresh. All right, because you talked about the the beginning of this game, mm-hmm. and I think this is kind of the most interesting part here. That first five or so minutes, Friars ended up tied nine nine early, and yeah. my impression through the first couple of minutes was that the Friars were lucky to be tied. Butler, without playing them, thought the the Manny Bates, Jalen Thomas double center combo from Butler was giving the Friars a lot of issues. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> did that did that table flip? Yeah, I I mean that was um that, that was quite the sequence there. A lot of it was Devin Carter, but I, I agree, Matt. We looked a little overwhelmed by the double bigs that Butler put out there. Um, like you said, when it was tied nine nine, I shared that sentiment. I thought, you know all right, we're coming off of an emotional win and an eight-day break. Like, the Friars are a little jet-lagged. They're a little hungover from that top 25 double overtime thriller with Marquette. And then all of a sudden, they, they, they just put the foot on the gas and steamrolled through the rest of that first half. I, I, I mean, Butler only scored nine points from that point forward and ended that first half with 18 points. Like, that yeah, is incredible. 18. 
Yeah. Friars bookending 2022 here with some nice defensive performances. They had uh, they allowed just 18, no, 17 points in the first half of the DePaul game on New Year's Day of 2022. In the last game, you had to allow 18 points in the first half. So that's that's a great way to do it. And it's always tough to win on the road in the Big East. So yeah. doing it like this, I think, is incredibly impressive. I don't know if it says more about Butler than about Providence. This was kind of a must-win game for Butler. Now they're 0-3 here to start conference play. and They're going to be – I think this was – this was the most winnable big game of their early schedule, and they never looked competitive. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you got to feel for Butler a little bit. They did not have the most favorable uh, three-game start to conference play, um, but your, your point is well taken, Matt. This was the most winnable of those three games for them, and they really laid a goose egg. Um, I think the game says more about Butler than it does about Providence. We've seen – Providence put down offensive beatdowns on teams that they're supposed to. Um, I wouldn't say Butler is a team you're supposed to blow out on their home floor by 20 points, but this isn't this type of offensive power isn't foreign for this Providence team at this point in the season. I think what says more about Butler is their inability to chip away beyond eight points um, and really lose by 20 at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Well, I think it shows, I think there were some good defensive adjustments there Clifton Moore, I think, was part of that. I know you want to talk about him. Yeah. Uh, so they did a good job of, of bouncing back defensively to stop what Butler was doing early on. And then the other thing, Butler could not shoot the three ball. Yeah. And it's just non-existent. They made two three-pointers in the first half, didn't hit a single one in the second half, two of 16 on the night. And this is a Providence three-point defense that has struggled this year. Butler's not a great shooting team. But the prior defense has made everybody look good. So having a night like this, I think, was important. Yeah, and I, I, I honestly, I wouldn't even go as far as crediting the, the Friar defense for stifling Butler from the three-point line. I just think Butler wasn't hitting because, I'll be completely honest with you, they had some wide-open looks, man. And I was I was like, all right, here we go. They're going to go on a run, and they just kept missing. Um, I mean, you're, you're right, though. That was a breath of fresh air to see, you know, a team not drain multiple three-pointers on the Friars. Uh, that's something – uh, relatively new to us so far in the season. But yeah, I, I mean, it, on the Clifton Moore front uh, on that side of things, I think defensively that adjustment made in the second half when you had Moore and Croswell on the court at the same time, I think that was huge. And Moore didn't necessarily stuff the stat sheet with points. I think he only had seven, but he also had eight rebounds. He was just, he was kind of imposing his will down low. And I, I thought he provided some really solid minutes. Um, I think he's really my unsung he uh, hero of the game. Uh, yeah, you know, I think he did a pretty good job. And I think this is a performance from Clifton Moore that we haven't seen really since the URI game. So I was happy to see him play well. And I think that's kind of when you look around the landscape of the Big East, I'm going to put I'm going to put like UConn into its own basket. I think when it comes to bigs, because what they what Donovan Klingon yeah, and Adama Snogo do, that's an abnormality. You look at the rest of the conference. No Jose Guadaro is a good center. But now they have found ways to handle him. Manny Bates, Jalen Thomas are good players. Clifton Moore, give them enough against them, which is huge for him. They're going to have to go against some other big centers. Like when they play Xavier, they're going to have to have Jack Nungy down there. I think that could be a big Clifton Moore game. You don't need him to be great. You just need him to be serviceable. Do the job. Handle your assignment. Don't get beaten. Play even. And yep. you're happy with that. And uh, if you can get minutes like that against some of these teams coming up, that's going to be huge. And I think it's, I don't know, I, I kind of question the size of this team. 
I think that's where the Friars, if they have issues this year, that's where it's probably going to be. And now you've, you beat a Seton Hall team on the road that is very big in the middle and a lot of wings, and Bryce Hawkins dominated them. And then you go beat a Butler team on the road that's starting two centers. Manny Bates is probably – he might be the best center in the second tier of centers in the Big East. They got 14 offensive rebounds. They were yeah. scoring at will in the paint at points. They stuffed that Butler offense down low. That's incredibly impressive. And that's guys stepping up and doing what you need them to do. Yeah, I think that point's really well taken, Matt, especially the point about, you know, going up against other top tier centers in the conference. You know, Clifton Moore is going to provide that length and that size that we've lost now with Nate Watson off the roster. And that's not to, you know, discredit Ed Croswell and Bryce Hopkins, because I think they've been absolute monsters in the paint, um, especially offensively speaking. But if you look at defensively, you know, Watson was, uh, you know, clogging up the paint last season. He was a, a 6'10", 270-pound man. Like, he was a rock down there. And Ed Croswell is not that. Bryce Hopkins is not that. Clifton Moore technically is not that either, but he provides that length that Watson provided, especially defensively. And what I think surprises me the most about this game is Clifton Moore had zero blocks, and he still had a really good defensive performance down low, and I think that's really telling. Yeah, and that's you don't need him again. Like I said, you don't need him to be excellent. He doesn't have to jump no. out. He just has to be steady. He needs to give you fifteen to twenty minutes of solid defense down yep. low. And if he gives you some points, awesome. I'm sure there's going to be some games this season where he'll knock down a three or he'll hit a shot late or whatever, and that's going to be huge. It's probably only going to happen in one or two games this year. That's not his game. He can just give you solid defense and freeze up Ed Croswell to do stuff, which. So I know when that when his team plays Villanova and they don't play Villanova here for about another month, I think that's going to be a really interesting matchup because Eric Dixon, uh, I don't know how much Villanova basketball you've watched this year. He's kind of taken his game to another level here. He's jumped out to me as much better, much smoother in a lot of different ways. And I think the Eric Dixon, um, Ed Croswell matchup when that happens is going to be a sight to watch. I think Dixon has stepped up his offense for sure, you know, adding in that three-point shot. I think defensively, I haven't seen much improvement. He gave up a double-double to Soriano in that win. Um, obviously, the, the everybody has. <laughs> the, to, yes, Soriano is a double-double machine. Um, I, I think, you know, there were points in that UConn game when Sonogo was scoring at will in the paint, the same with Klingon. Um, but I think offensively, the the firepower between Dixon and Croswell is certainly going to be a matchup. You know, Dixon's improved his game. He can stretch the floor a little bit more. And like why I always say, Croswell's good in tight, tight spaces under the rim. So I think you're right. That's going to be a big center game when we play Villanova. Well, and that's one of those. Neither team has a real big, a, like a traditional big. Yeah, yeah. They, they play differently. So I think you're going to – I think that will be just a good matchup. It's two guys who play the same way and – I think Eric Dixon is at this point one of the better players in the Big East. He's probably gonna he's not gonna be worse than a second team this year, I don't think. And Ed Crosswell's kind of starting to get some attention for what he's doing. He had himself a double double against Butler. I thought he looked really, really good for stretches in this one. Fifteen points, ten rebounds, and Five of five from the free throw line. I think that's huge for him. Yeah, he's uh, he he's coming to his own. I we've talked about Bryce Hopkins being the reason this team has turned around. Ed Croswell might be just as big of a factor here. Croswell has now scored in double figures in each of the last one, two, three, four, five, six games, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that we've also won all of the last six. Um, yeah. 
you know, as much of uh, an impact as Bryce Hopkins has been in, you know, the, the more recent weeks, I think you have to put Ed Croswell in that conversation as well. Um, not to mention Devin Carter, who I know we'll touch on in a bit, but Croswell has really been holding his own, um, you know, and I think there was a lot of uncertainty about Croswell coming into the season just because he didn't play a ton of minutes last season. When he did, he was super effective and efficient on the court, but now he's really, you know, consumed and taken on that starting role in, at the five spot. And to mm-hmm. replace a, a fifth year big like Nate Watson, who was an all conference selection or a second team, all conference selection, rather like, that's those are some gigantic shoes to fill. And I think Croswell has done it in his own way. Um, that, like I said, the finesse game of Croswell, the savviness around the, the rim and under the bucket. I mean, he, he's even improved his ball handling. He had a steal at about mid court last night and dribbled in for a nice little lay. And I was like, he can do that. Like, yeah, that, that's impressive. That's yeah. that, He's got the case for Big East most improved right now. I think he's, he's gotta be up there. And there's a lot of, just a general note on the Big East here. Some of the improvements we've seen from players inside the Big East this year have been incredible. And I think yeah. they didn't come on until five or ten games in, which is the reason why the non-conference looked so shaky at points. Yeah. But when you look at that Marquette team, the Marquette oh, team, I believe, well, when I, the last time I checked, they had five guys who were averaging at least ten points a game. All of them have doubled their scoring or more since last year. And what Ed Croswell's doing, and obviously Bryce Hopkins wasn't in the Big East last year, but he's still <laughs> incredibly improved. I think you got guys that you come in. Adama Snogo could almost be in the the conversation here for most improved, be just because he's taken on that role. And it's Joel Soriano being a double double machine or running up and down the floor after what we yeah. saw last year. It's it's a lot of improvement. I, I you know I hate UConn, but it, it's hard not to put Sonogo at the front runner for a ton of Big East accolades this season, just with the way he's played, the way his game has improved, and the way that this UConn team can run through him on some nights and also remove him from the equation and still be dominant. It's just, woof. He's a, he's a freak. He's, yeah. he's so good. Uh, while we're talking about him, by the way, and the, the Big East Player of the Year stuff, just a note, Ken Palm right now, they have their all Ken Palm Big East Conference team. Number one, Adama Sonogo. Number two, Eric Dixon. I said, I told you that he's had a real good year so far. Number three, Bryce Hopkins. Yeah. That, that's where it is right now. And Donovan Kling in there for UConn at number four. They might have player of the year and freshman of the year at the same position. And Baylor Shireman running out of the, at number five. You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if Sonogo gets player of the year, at, Klingon gets freshman of the year, and he's also first team all-conference selection. I mean, that's just how good – that front court pairing out of Connecticut has been. Um, it's ridiculous. I I haven't seen anything like it before, except at Purdue. Purdue last year. That's it. Yeah. Dan Hurley hit copy and paste from that offense. Um, oh, while while Bre- this is fresh in my mind, you brought up Bryce Hopkins on that list. Yeah. I think it's extremely telling that on a night when he had six points, we picked up a 20-point road victory. That's really, really important. Um because really the, the past couple games, especially this Marquette game and the Seton Hall game, Hopkins was the main storyline. I mean, you could talk about Croswell, you could talk about Carter, you could talk about Bynum. Hopkins was that storyline for the first two games of our conference slate. And, you know, I, I don't think it was necessarily Butler's defense. I just think the game started coming to Devin Carter, and that's where we went with it uh, last night. But Hopkins only having six points and us beating a team by 20 on the road at in a really tough place to play. That speaks volumes to, I think, the depth of the scoring ability on this team. Because if teams are going to game plan for Bryce Hopkins to be, you know, that guy, that dude that's going to put up the 20 point performances, but 
Devin Carter is also capable of it. Ed Croswell is also capable of it. Bynum's also capable of it. I think that says a lot about this Providence team at this point in the season, comparatively and, to where we were early November. And a bad game for Bryce Hopkins is still six points, eight rebounds here. So, yeah. 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 Pretty good night. Yeah. Uh, I know there's two guys that we haven't talked about here who I think really deserve it. But before we get to them real quick, just to finish up the last note we had on Ed Croswell, Clifton Moore, offensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. Ed Croswell had three offensive rebounds. Clifton Moore had six, yeah. which is insane. And the Friars as a team are ranked third in the country in offensive rebounding percentage per Ken Palm at the moment. Yeah. That's just, and that's this team. My biggest worry about this team was their lack of shooting. Well, they're not taking threes. They're getting close to the basket to take shots and they're getting a bunch of rebounds to get the easy looks. Yep. Th- th- this is that, 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 Typical Ed Cooley team that that really crashes the glass and mm-hmm. just really tries to kill you in the paint. And, you know, I thought, you know, normally I, I get a little irritated with him, but I thought Donnie Marshall did a, a pretty good job last night of saying, like, you know, the reason Providence gets fouled so much is because they're going up and getting second chance buckets off of offensive rebounds. So I thought that was a really good point because, you know, it kind of it is it sheds some light onto some of the free throw disparity that we saw against Marquette. I don't think there was as much of a disparity last night. I just think Butler wasn't as physical down low. Um, but yeah, I mean, this team loves to clean the glass and that's like kind of a coolie trademark at this point. Exactly. Exactly. That's huge. Um, another thing to kind of clean, speaking of cleaning things up before we talk about, uh, I think Jared Bynum and Devin Carter, who both deserve conversation here yep. was um, the defense of this game. I know we mentioned it before. I just want to talk about where they are in the metrics right now. Coming into this game, they were outside the top 110. I don't remember the exact number in the rankings. Somewhere between 110 and 130s. I know where they were in the Ken, Ken Palm defensive efficiency. With just last night's game, they moved up to 84. Moved up like 20 spots in defensive efficiency there with one game. And that's where this team has needed to lock in for a while now. And I think they they didn't do it against Marquette. They gave up a career high to a good player in back-to-back games there with Seton Hall and Marquette, Kadari Richmond, Tyler Kolick, and really solid to not allow anybody on Butler to go off. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. They looked locked in from about that 16-minute point in the, in the first half. But, um, no, defensively, this was a treat. This is something that, you know, we haven't seen much of this season. And to see it really click into place now on the road, that's an important thing piece to this puzzle that we're still putting together and I, I i think truthfully matt this is a team that hasn't even found its identity yet you know we're still piecing things together Def- defense has obviously been you know not at the forefront of you know the attention of this friars team but last night you know they really locked it in and when you consider the caliber of opponent and the fact that you're on the road that's the best defensive game this team has played all year that's really the reason they won that's what got things started and if you want to talk about defense with this team, I think for last night, you got to start with the man of the hour, Devin Carter. Oh, yeah. 21 points for him. He got 16 or 18 of them in the first half there. 18 in the and first he, half. Yeah. He had four steals. Three, yeah. He also had three assists, three rebounds. I think the four steals is the big part for him there. And it's just he's the kind of athlete you can't give him any room at all towards the basket, and he'll make you pay. No, not at all. And – He's the type of person, Matt, and we we talked about this all in the non-conference, all in the preseason, where he is six foot three, but he plays like a power forward. If you get him the ball in transition, he is attacking the basket. He's either going to dunk or he's going to try and do some finesse reverse lay-in, but 
he is attacking the basket. He's not kicking out. He's not slowing up. If you get him the ball in transition, he's going. And he's the type of person that's going to try and poke the ball away and steal it. So you better watch out. Yeah, I was I was workshopping this idea in my head last night. I know we got the term microwave scorer for a guy who heats up real quick. I'd call him an elevator player because he doesn't need a lot of room to go up in a hurry. Yeah. You just give him any space anywhere, and he's going up for the dunk or the layup or whatever, and he's going to make it. Like, he's he's as athletic as a 6'3 guard as I have ever seen. You, you know what I love about the way he plays is sometimes he'll attack the rim and he'll dunk it, but it doesn't look like he's going to dunk it. Like, that's just that's just like the uh, an insane amount of hops that one person can have that's six foot three. Like, I think last night he went up and he threw one down. I was like, I was like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't think he was going to do that. Excuse my French, but like, wow. He does that like once a game. Too. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I also liked after the game, he was talking about how he I mean, he wants to go to the league. Like, that's his goal here. Yeah. And he works out with NBA players. He has connections there to Miami Heat. So he works out with Miami Heat players. Yeah. And. The name he dropped in there was DePaul legend Max Struess. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Loved that. Yeah. Stru- I mean, DePaul is DePaul, but Struess is, you know, one of those players that it's like, if he was on a different team, like, damn. Like, he, he was good on DePaul, don't get me wrong. But, like, if you put him on a successful team, like, he's getting national attention. Yeah, he was he was good. He was, he was a very good player. Uh, before we, we want to wrap up the year a little bit here, and we'll, we'll look ahead to the DePaul game on Sunday. Mm-hmm. One more player I want to talk about from this one, Jared Bynum. Thought he had a really in-control game. Yeah. He was the second, third on the team there in scoring. Yeah, third on the team with 11 points. Led the team with seven assists. He knocked down the one three, hit both of his free throws, got a steal in there. He had some turnovers, but by and large, I thought Bynum played very in control and had one of his better games of the year. Yeah, I thought so, too. I thought, you know, probably my favorite play from Bynum was that end of the first half late shot clock, late shot clock play where he drove to the rim and had that nice little lay in to end, um, you know, to beat the buzzer at the end of the first half there. I thought that was like the perfect Bynum set play because that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, he did a lot of last season is he, he put on the Kyron Cartwright cape and took control late in the shot clock, diving to the rim and scoring around uh, underneath the hoop that was a perfect play for him um and you know there was a there was a little bit of finesse and luck with that one too because it kind of rattled in at the end there but i thought that was a really good play for him to you know solidify what was a, a really good night for jared bynum yeah. uh, the moment i really liked for him was in the middle of that 25 to 3 run where they took over the game he had just a mid-range jumper that was in rhythm yeah and one of those shots, like, you know how it is when you see the player take a shot and you got the butterflies because you're like, oh, I, didn't, I don't feel good about him taking that shot. Yeah. And you've kind of had that about Jared Bynum at points this year. And yeah. I never the, I never even, never even crossed my mind until after it had gone in that, oh, Jared Bynum just made that shot and I wasn't nervous about him taking it. Yeah. He just in rhythm, got to his spot, hits the mid-range, gets out. And that's yeah. so good. You know what I will say, too, just – not about Jared Bynum specifically, but about mid-range shots in general. Normally, if a player takes it and it's not Alpha Diallo from the 2018 or the 2017-2018 Friars, I'm like, oh no, why'd you do that? Like, it's like the way this this Providence offense has run the past couple seasons. It's pound the paint or hit a three. You know, Diallo's the exception. He was really like a good mid-range shooter, so we'll leave him out. But normally, when players take mid-range shots, I'm like, oh god, here we go. Like. 
were just chucking. But you're right. When Bynum took that shot, I was like, okay. Like, I felt cool, calm, and collected. Like, I didn't yeah. necessarily sweat. And I think that's a really good sign. Yeah, I think he looked good. And I think Noah Locke has looked good in the mid-range, too. I think those are the guys who they play well there. And yeah. This is not going to be a team that beats you from deep this year, I don't no. think, not unless they get hot. So yeah. getting those is really important for creating the space that you need underneath. And when you got undersized guards, that's how you do it. One other play I'll talk about here, Jaden Pierre only had one assist. Noah Locke only made one three-pointer, but it may have been the prettiest play of the night that wasn't a Devin Carter or a Croswell dunk. Yep. That was in the middle of this run against the – there's a little bit of help defense into the paint. Butler's cheating over. Jaden Pierre goes all the way across the court with the pass, hits Noah yep. Locke, drills the three. And my favorite part about that, my little detail that I liked on that, was Noah Locke was very close to being out of bounds. Yeah. When his heels never came down. He caught that ball on his tiptoes and went right up and shot it, which is an impressive form. I think that is a really good play to highlight because in real time, I was like, he's not setting his feet. Like it did not look like he set his feet when he cut, when he caught the ball. And I didn't know that his heels weren't down, but so that's a really good stat right there. Um, I think I, I like the breakdown that they did on the broadcast too, where you show Chuck Harris is really coming in for the help defense on Croswell and, gave Noah Locke that window to shoot the three and Chuck Harris just didn't get back in time. And it was, it was a really pretty play. It's again impressive vision from Jaden Pierre, who I think has been up and down as a passer, but make plays like that consistently. And you're going to be a very good big East guard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. We want to, we're going to look at the DePaul game in a sec here. We'll finish off with that before we get to the DePaul preview. I think we need to take a look back at 2022 and just recap but I don't know. This may, may not be the best calendar year in the school's history, but it's got to be one of the top five, top that, three. Yeah, it's the top since we've been students and postgrads from Providence. It is. Yeah. And it is it is without a doubt the best since 97. That yeah. is. And that's because they went and made a deeper run. It depends on how you value a run into the tournament. But yeah. here's here's the stats for you. It's that you need to know. In the calendar year of 2022, the Friars went 26 and 8, and that includes a 17 and 4 record against Big East opponents. Those four losses are the loss to Marquette last year, two losses to Villanova, and the one to Creighton in the Big East tournament. That's it. I mean, wow. So, yeah, and that's 16 and 3 in regular season Big East play over that spin. Damn. Yeah, this is now, by the way, this is now the, the third time in the last four seasons the Friars have started Big East play 3-0. and And it's been a while before that since they had last done that. They're going to have a chance to 4-0 against DePaul. Um, this is the back-to-back Decembers that they've gone undefeated. They're 12-0 in the past two Decembers. So that's, yeah. we talked about Ed Cooley kind of turning things on in February and making a run late. Well, no, he's a, he's a December coach now. That's when it kicks in. Uh, yeah, no, the, that's a great point. Um, he 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 moved up his timeline a little bit so that we're not so that we as fans aren't sweating in February. We're, we're skipping the Florida game this year, the Florida game, the College of Charleston game. Like we'll skip yeah, that phase. Yeah, th- those are wiped now. But now I'm yeah. gonna knock on wood. Yeah, we still gotta play Georgetown twice. <laughs> If we want to talk about notable 2022 stats, uh, Georgetown went 0 for what against conference opponents in the calendar year 2022? I'm not even doing the math, but it's too high of a number. It's it's 23 Big East losses in a row. I don't know exactly how many of those happened in 2022. It's probably around 21 of them. Wow. 
I mean, I just can't wait for Patrick Ewing's contract extension once they inevitably upset UConn. So uh, just, just uh, let's let's see if he makes it that far. Butler, uh, Georgetown plays Butler on Sunday, New Year's Day. Uh, let's let's see how Georgetown does in that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would not want to be the team playing Butler after losing by twenty at home. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, and then the, obviously the other part of that twenty twenty two for the Friars first Big East regular season championship in school history, first Sweet Sixteen since nineteen ninety seven. Ed Cooley, Naismith, Coach of the Year. It, it's all come together, and it's just – obviously, I know we, we get all wrapped up in championships and all that. Like, that's what the sport's all about. But let's just take a second look back here. Like, the whole point of basketball is having, all, having something fun to do on weekends and weeknights. Yeah. And this team's had a lot, a lot of good nights this year. No, I, I totally agree, Matt. I think a lot of times, you know, when – you're watching a sport in general, you think about the end game, you think about the playoffs, you think about winning a championship. The past calendar year as a Providence fan has been fun, regardless of the statistical accolades that go in the record books and the trophy case, because you're watching these games like last night case in point, like I'm sitting on the couch, like with my dog and my sister, just like enjoying life, like watching the game, like knowing that like Providence is good. Like that's what the sport is all about. Sure, there's the occasional heart attack that happens probably three times every two weeks when you watch this team, but that's a part of the ride too. It's just, it's a, it was a great year to be a Providence Friars basketball fan beyond the trophy case because the team played really good basketball that was fun to watch. Yep, you get you get to hoist a trophy too, which is fun in the regular season, which is cool. But I mean. You got the two games against Xavier last year with incredible endings. The Butler game last year with the comeback. The DePaul game last year at home with the comeback. The Xavier game with the buzzer beater from Jared Bynum. The Marquette game with the crazy ending. The St. John's game with the crazy ending. Blowing out Richmond in the NCAA tournament. We still kind of sleep on that game. That may have been the best game the team played all year last year. And to do that in the last win you got in the NCAA tournament against the team that just upset Iowa. That was a huge moment for the Friars. We do not talk about how big that game was enough. And then what the team has done this year in particular over the last six games has been remarkable to watch. You beat URI, which is always, always a good thing. Always nice to get that one. Yep. Um, Seton Hall, I mean – you go back to last year, they didn't play at Seton Hall. And there was still a lot of flack from the New Jersey side about that. Well, you go down there and you beat them yeah. in a tough, a tough physical game. You win the home overtime game against Marquette. I mean, this is – it just keep, games keep coming down to the wire and they're making winning plays. And Ed Cooley with that record, uh, was it 71 and 29 in close games? It's yeah. Fantastic. Uh, it was – yeah. I mean, even the, the offseason too, like – you grat you you have a very emotional end to the season last year. You hold the eventual national champions to five points. You're down thirteen. You come back. You take the lead. You you wind up losing, and then the, you know in the day the days after the reality sets in that all five starters are leaving, and that you really only have three players returning that played significant minutes. And all of a sudden, Naismith Coach of the Year starts working his magic in the transfer portal, and one by one, you start reeling in these high impact transfers: Hopkins, Moore. Carter, Locke, Corey mm-hmm. Floyd. Like that was it, was, it was fun to be a fan in May too. Like it, it just, yeah. it carried over. 
Yeah, I was at, I vividly remember uh, that I was traveling for Easter to go visit family. My girlfriend and I were flying. We had a, uh, we had a stop, a layover in Baltimore. And it was like a five hour layover in Baltimore. So we said, we're going to go leave the airport. I know a little restaurant there, or not a restaurant. It's a, uh, it's a whiskey distillery, Sagamore. I'll, I'll call it out because it's so good. It's fantastic. If you like whiskey, I recommend it. So let's go over there. We'll get a drink. We go get some stuff, see the stuff. And then we went over to some crab place to get some seafood while we were waiting after that. And I'm sitting there at the bar waiting for my burger to come out. And I see Noah Locke commits transfers to Providence. I'm like, oh, all right. We're doing it. hasn't even been a month that we're doing this again. Yep. It, it was, oh man. That, that was a fun, that was a fun stretch of a couple of weeks there. That was fantastic. And look at the recruits. Too. Yeah. Recruits coming in for next year. I think they're still waiting on a guy to sign a letter. But as far as we know, everybody's coming for next year. And yep. um, I think you still have to keep in touch with Bull Bowen, knowing the state of that Florida State program at the yep. moment. Yep. And that could be your, another Bryce Hopkins who's going to transfer into for you after a year. I don't know what's going on down there. And future looks bright. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, me personally, but as a fan base, there was some frustration about, you know, the up and down back-to-back seasons that had been happening. Now, if you look at it through a different lens, 2019-2020, you mark as a good season. 2021, uh, 2020-2021, COVID year, doesn't matter. The past two seasons, you know, last year and then this year so far have been pretty good years. So I think, you know, as a coach, Ed Cooley's really, you know, starting to find his stride with, you know, attacking the transfer portal in the offseason, getting guys to buy into what the team is going to do and developing a brand of basketball where it's like, okay, maybe we'll beat teams out, you know, by 20 points, but realistically, you know, it's going to be a rock fight, but if it's a close game, I trust Ed Cooley to win. And, and, you know, all of this is starting to aggregate together and build a national profile that is really, you know, putting Providence on the map with, with some of these, you know, programs that have been, you know, nationally respected and nationally talked about for years and years to come. Ed Cooley is now doing that for the Friars. Yeah. And since the start of that 2019-2020 season, this team has four losses at the AMP slash dunk because they didn't play. They played all, all at Alumni Hall that one year. Yeah. And if you go back, and three of those four losses were in that 2019-2020 season. One was that home loss to Penn, which was oh, rough. Well, that, was a be- that was a decent Penn team, at least, so it's not awful, awful. Yeah. And then home losses to Butler and Villanova in conference play, which – I mean, Villanova, two of these losses, two of the four losses were at home to Villanova in conference play. That happens. That was a good Butler team, too. Fifth that, in the nation at the time. That was, yeah. After that is when the wheels fell off in the Laval <laughs> Jordan era. It has not been the same since. Really, like, that week, that might be the last, like, significant win for Butler as yeah. a program. With, um, but, yeah, so that's the way that Ed Cooley has turned things around. And since that Florida game at Barclay Center. That's such a turning point right now for this entire program. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, you get your teeth kicked in by Noah Locke in Florida, and you proceed to go on a historic Big East run. You know, we're jumping the COVID year. Um, and then you go on you you go on another historic Big East one that precedes the previous one. You make the Sweet 16. You win the Big East regular season title. Naismith and Big East Coach of the Year. Fantastic offseason. Then you come in. With all these new pieces, you figure it out in non-conference and, you know, you, you're a healthy 3-0 in conference play to end the 2022 calendar year. I'll take it. I'll, I, I'll take it. Yeah. I, I will buy that. 
Um, and now you get a chance to go 4-0 against a DePaul team that, uh, quite frankly, has not looked good. No. I mean, uh, they looked yeah. good last night, but take a look at who they were playing, and then you know why yeah. they looked good. Yeah. And I think part of this, part of the issue with DePaul is how injured this team has been. They missed Yorane, who was really their backup center mm-hmm. from the Minnesota game, which is their third game of the season. And the first win the Big East had, one of only two wins the Big East had in the Gavit games. DePaul looked really good in that one and blew out Minnesota on the road. And they they already had Nick Onjenda out. You lose Yorane. Caleb Murphy still has not played for them. He was one of their top transfers. So they've just kind of been figuring it out on the fly. And I think they've had some guys underperform for them. So I mean, they have they got crushed by Northwestern. They lost at Duquesne. They were kind of competitive against Creighton for points. Then you beat Georgetown. It's not a good defense for DePaul, but the offense can score. And now that they've got Yorane back. They have size on defense. I think this is going to be a motivated DePaul team and, and a better DePaul team than anybody has seen since the first week of the season, probably. Yeah. I uh, I'll be honest, Matt. Um, this game to me screams trap game. It's got it tattooed yeah. all over it. Um, and I thought you brought up a good point. I think this was in Slack earlier today that last year Providence started this Midwest trip with a blowout at DePaul and then went and got blown out at Marquette. Um, this is a very similar time of year trip to the Midwest. We're flipping DePaul with Butler and Marquette with DePaul. Um, I just, you know, obviously this would be a much worse loss than that Marquette one would be, uh, yeah. but yeah, the basically long, long story short, this would be a terrible loss for us and would really, you know, deflate the balloon that we've pumped up for the month of December. Um, yeah. It is a losable game, though. And I think that's one of the keys here. Like, it's it's not a game you can sleepwalk through. No. Paul's a physical team, and they'll put enough together if you don't break. You got to bring your B game to beat them. Yeah, you got to bring your B-plus game. Because I think when you look at when DePaul came to the dunk, that was a game where we sleptwalked through 75% of it. And then we really turned it on that 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 fourth quarter, that that final 10 minutes is when is when we turned it on. And that was a DePaul team playing on the road at the Dunkin' Donuts Center on accepted students day with students back on campus, prospective students there, families there. It was a sold out arena and the tall boys were flowing like that was that a very. Was the, if I remember correctly, too, that was the night where the Taylor Swift song went viral, correct? Was that was that the game. night when the Taylor Swift song went viral. So yeah. it that game tied with the blowout at DePaul last year, you know. I'm sure Tony Stubblefield has his guys motivated. Like they've got Providence's number because last season we beat DePaul and then we stole DePaul's best win from them. We stole it back. Yep. So I'm sure he wants his revenge. Um, and listen, I like Stubblefield. I think he's a good coach. Um, yeah. I, I, I think he's been unfortunate with some of the roster changes and whatnot at DePaul, but I think he's more all in all a good coach there. I think yeah. he's a good fit. Not- and this is a DePaul team that almost beat Oklahoma State. They played them to a four-point game. That's an Oklahoma State team that, uh, until this week, gave UConn the hardest test that it had seen all season, and that was at uh, the Excel Center, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, when they put it all together, this is not a terrible team. They have just been so snake-bitten by injuries. They have a pair of overtime wins in there, too. I think they've been mostly good in the clutch. Um I think the name to watch here, there's two. It's Emoji Gibson and Javon Johnson. 
I'm Oji Gibson, came over from Oklahoma. He's a really, really good three-point shooter. He's a really good, like, kind of secondary ball handler. I like a lot of what I've seen from him. I looked at him a bunch this offseason. Yeah, Javon Johnson came over from Kansas as a wing. He didn't really play for them last year. So now he's finally playing and got to see him in person when DePaul played St. John's. He he hits some ridiculous shots. I don't think he takes good shots, but he hits them. He's amazing in the mid-range. He's very physical. I think how he goes up against probably Bryce Hopkins. I imagine he'll see some Alan Breed at certain points. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch in this one because he's been the guy for DePaul this year. He's also a 47% three-point shooter on... Yes, high volume. Yeah, on 82 threes taken this season. That's... yeah. So, you know what? That kind of scares me a little bit because of what we talked about previously is that Providence doesn't guard the three ball well. And Butler didn't make us pay for it. But if this guy's a 50% shooter from beyond the arc, that frightens me tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. Javon Johnson, 47.6%. Emoja Gibson, 39.8%. And the Philmon Gebrowet, another wing of theirs, 37.2% from deep. They got a couple guys that can kill. This is. The offense for DePaul really has not been an issue for the most part this year. It's the defense where they have really, really struggled. They don't communicate well on defense. They also hadn't had size for most of the year. I think this is one. I mean, it's DePaul's going to score even if you play well. So this has kind of got to be the reverse of the Butler game where you got to find a way to get going early, get the offense going early because it might be a track meet. And you might just have to outlast the other team. I was literally just going to say this is going to be a foot race. Like this is going to be, you know, I won't, I won't say in the range of Marquette, but this is going to be a game that's decided by the winner having North of 80 points scored. Uh, I think without a doubt. Yeah. Um, Erol Penn is another name for them. He transferred in. He's a senior 11 points per game, seven and a half rebounds. He leads him there. He's a really good forward for them. He's not dominant for anything, but he does get his share of looks. Deshaun Nelson is one of their forwards to another guy who I, got to, I was impressed by in person because he's so good at dunking. He's had some <laughs> dunks that look like they're going to bring down the rim. Yeah. So he's fun and uh, he's an energy guy for them. And I'm curious to see what DePaul looks like. This is this is winnable for them. And you know they're going to come out and bring energy, especially on New Year's Day. So the Friars have to match that. Yeah, uh, it was New Year's Day, January 1st last year when we beat them at DePaul. And, and like I said, I'm sure Stubblefield remembers that. So this is a game you cannot take lightly. I do not expect us to replicate this Butler performance. I would be surprised if we do. I would be surprised yeah. if either team wins by more than five. Yeah, this could. This seems like a sleeper game, and I don't. I don't care how Providence wins. It's just not a game the Friars can afford to lose. Not at all. No, you you just need to win, and you, no matter how ugly it is, you take the win yeah. and you move on. You. To the best case scenario here is you you, you leave this week four and zero and you go into that UConn game prepared. See, even I'm looking yeah. ahead now. Like I, yeah, yeah, and that's and this is a big weekend because tomorrow Saturday is that that UConn at Xavier game. I think as Friar fans, we should kind of hope UConn wins. I was going to say you don't want to get a pissed off UConn team. You don't want to get no. one coming off a lot. I think you also want UConn to be ranked as high as possible. I, you want you want UConn to steamroll them and be ranked number one coming in. Let's take down the number one team in the country. You you want, uh, and I was saying this last night in my Friar group chat. 
You want UConn coming in feeling good because they just knocked off another ranked Big East opponent. You want them coming into this Providence game like we're the best team in the country. We're the best team in the Big East. We're going to beat, you know, rival school like this. This game, if UConn wins tomorrow, has is so much more meaningful for the Providence side of things. Uh, you, uh, I. This is now the second time this week I'm going to root for UConn to win, and I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> Hi, it is good for the Big East too to have that team at the top. So yeah, that's yeah. But yeah, it's uh, you got Friars got to win this one on Sunday. I believe it's two thirty Eastern on Sunday, so you get to uh, sleep in a little bit, catch your NFL action. Uh, it stinks that this game is during both the Patriots game and the Giants game. So. Yeah. Have a little dual screen setup for Sunday. I, I'm not sure what time the Jets play. Oh, Jets are late. They put the Seahawks at the, four or four Jets, thirty. I think the Jets are out of contention, so it doesn't even matter. They are not. Oh, they're not. No. If the Patriots win this week and the Jets beat the Seahawks, then the Jets would be in if they beat Miami next week and the Patriots lose to the Bills. Interesting. Which is very possible if Tua is missing time, and I don't think the Patriots are beating the Bills. So, I didn't know that. The Jets have a shot here. Wow. Yeah. yeah wow. Look, the the two percent of New York Jets fans that listen to this are probably going to hate <laughs> me after that comment. And the one percent of Giants fans that I, that is currently on the podcast right now. <laughs> that's me. I remember, I think I, I posted back when the schedules were announced, hey, here are, the, here are the days that are going to you have to dual screen because it's going to be NFL and Providence basketball. And I think it was Kevin McNamara, so shout out to him, responded saying, hey, none of these teams are going to be in playoff contention when this happens. It's not going to matter. At old takes exposed. They're all yeah. in playoff contention. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> yeah, that's for you, K-Mac. Love you. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that does it for this one. Hell of a year, Joe. Hell of a year. What what a year. Um, New Year's resolution is make 2023 better than 2022 in terms of Providence basketball. That's my New Year's resolution. Yeah, I'm going to say go undefeated at the AMP in conference play. That's what I want. Defend the hey, building. I'll take that. That means you're beating UConn. That's that's the big thing to do right there. I don't want to. Find a way to do that. You know what? I'm not even going to beat the call first. I'm not, I'm not even going to make a comment on it. Yeah, can't look ahead too far here, but it's so hard not to. Go Friars, beat DePaul. Yeah, that's that's the message here. That's going to wrap it up for us here in 2022. Again, check out the store to go get yourself a shirt. So the Amps where ranked teams come to die. Yep. Go get yourself one of those. That's Joe Howie. I'm Matt St. Jean. We cover the Friars into the new year for you. Uh, this is We started this podcast in 2020. This is going to be going into 2023, season three here. It's uh, It's been a wild ride, Joe. It certainly has been. Um, <laughs> happy New Year to everybody. And as always, go Friars. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.